asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. So you may be just stepping in. You may have, you know, you don't know what the series is about. Let me tell you a little bit about kind of what our goal is. We want to answer some of the questions that you may have about God, the Bible, relationships. Um, I mean, you, you name it. And so in this series, here's what we're trying to do. We want to cultivate open, humble, and honest conversations, whether that's in your life group, here at church, wherever you're at. We want to encourage you to ask your friends, let your friends know about this series so they can ask the difficult questions, okay? So a lot of times churches are intimidated by difficult questions. And I want you to know that as a church, we're, it's okay if we don't have all the answers, okay? But we want to create a place that's safe, where there's safety, where there, you feel like comfortable enough to ask a question without saying, oh, I'm just asking for a friend, Right, yeah, we, know, we know that, right? I'm just asking for a friend. Because often what we say is we use that phrase because we are afraid to really ask. And the issue is, like, this, this is something that's really, you know, close to my heart and I'm dealing with, but what will they think of me if I ask that question? So, so we want to create a culture where it's okay to ask the difficult questions. And number three, we want people to, uh, we want to help people feel less alone less alone like i said we may not always have all the answers um you may not always agree with me and it's okay that's that's not it's not going to hurt my feelings if you tell them pastor alex i don't agree with you it's perfectly fine and um but i think that i think it's beneficial to see god to search the scriptures and to learn from one another and so that's kind of the heartbeat of the series answers will be a byproduct but they're not they're not the ultimate goal. Again, if you have questions, uh, there is a number here on the screen, 903-592-8357. All questions are 100% confidential. You don't have to put your name. You don't have to, none of that needs to happen. Uh, I want you to feel free to ask. If by any chance there's a question that we have not answered, um, because there's a lot that have come in, so we have to pick, um, we have a podcast that's going along with the, with the series, and it's, you, know, you can find the link on social media, I'm sure. Um, but it's a great opportunity for us to ask different people's opinions on different subjects um, and for you to hear a different voice, okay? All right, so let's get started. Today I'm going to tackle three questions. I have not edited any of these questions, so these are just real and raw, just the way people have asked them. Um, the first one is this, what should the church's role be in politics? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, the second one is, is this, is hell real? Is hell real? Why can a person be saved once uh, they go to hell? So why can a person be saved once they go to hell? And if we have time, we may run out of time, but if we have time, is there a certain way that we should pray? Is there a particular way that we should pray? If we can't tackle that one this week, maybe next week we'll, we'll get to it. All right, so the first one. What should the church's role be in politics have you ever asked yourself that question like what should the church what should life points role like what should you know what what's the role that a church should play in politics and maybe you've, you haven't asked it like that but maybe you've said you know what what should pastors be allowed to say and if anything about politics it's a phenomenal question i'm glad you asked it you know like does the bible tell us 
you know, who, like how to vote? Like does, you know, are you more spiritual if you are a Republican? Are you more spiritual if you are a Democrat? You know, nobody's saying everybody's I can feel attention a little bit in the room, you know? <laughs> What's the deal, right? Well, let me tell you my, my opinion, okay? A church's highest calling, the greatest purpose for a church, any church, is to reflect God's glory. Like the greatest thing that we can ever do as a church is to to mirror who Jesus is. And I think that there is a, a very real, um, tangible reason why God became Jesus in human form in the flesh. And I think one of those reasons is so that we can, like a lot of these questions, I'll be honest with you, like, I don't know. I just don't know the answer. Like, I look at him and I was like, man, I've, I feel like I've been in the ministry for a while and I've got some training, but like, honestly, some, some of the questions you guys are asking, they're, they're hard questions. I'm glad you are. I'm glad you're engaging. But the truth is, I don't know. And I think Vivian was the one that said it. says, when you don't know what to do, just look to Jesus. Just look to Jesus. How did Jesus handle that person? How? Because in reality, what we have is God incarnate, God in the flesh, becomes one of us. And so one of the greatest opportunities that we have is we can look at the way he behaved. We can look at how, what, how he did things. And there are times in my life when people ask me questions about, you know, some things. And I was like, well, I don't know, but I don't see Jesus doing that. So I'm not going to go in that direction. Okay? And sometimes it's a little bit of a guess. And so a church's highest calling, greatest purpose is to glorify God. Our job here on earth is to imitate the message of redemption that God shared with all of us through Jesus Christ. Now, David French said, says that one of the dangers is this. I love this quote. And if you heard the podcast from last week, this was something that Vivian also mentioned. She said this, we are adamant, this is one of the dangers, we're adamant about politics and we're flexible about virtue. And I think that there is so much truth to that. We're so adamant about what we think should be done. And sometimes we get angry and sometimes we get so emotional and so wrapped up with politics. But then when it comes to virtues, the virtues that we see in God's word, sometimes we're a little bit like a little bit flexible with those and we shouldn't be. So let me answer the question by taking you to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. Here is the answer to your question. Here's what God says. I urge then, first of all, and notice the four words, okay, four words, that petitions, prayers, I'm going to define those for you in a minute, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Let me, let me, let me define, because some of these may throw you off a little bit. That word petition means it's a heartfelt request. It's something that comes, I don't know if you've ever had such a, a big need in your life. Maybe it was finances. Maybe it was somebody that had cancer and it was somebody that you loved dearly. It is, a, it is something that comes from within. Like it's a deep request, deep emotional, deep personal need. The, the, the word picture in, in the original language is, is this. Can we put the picture 
This is the idea. Here's the intensity. It's the idea of uh, somebody begging for food. Somebody at the end of their rope saying, I don't have anybody else. I don't have anyone else. And I just need for, for you to be, have a little bit of mercy for me. That's the intensity behind this word, this word petition. Now, the next word, the word prayer, you may think it's the same as petition. Actually, they're very different. The word prayer is talking more about uh, setting a place. It's talking about, about um, it's emphasizing the location. So literal, the literal definition of this word prayer is a place set apart or suited for the offering of the petition. All right? So there's a difference. Okay? Intercession means to hit the bullseye. Bullseye being God's will for your life. The bullseye being God's direction for your life. And last, Thanksgiving, we're all familiar with that word, an attitude of gratitude. All right, so what does this verse mean? Well, what this verse is saying is that we need to have a specific place where we can pray, where we can offer our heartfelt request to the Lord, simultaneously giving thanks for, verse 2, Watch this. Let's put it up. Kings and all those in authority that we may live peacefully in quiet lives. Pay attention to those words because it's going to come out in a minute, okay? Verse 3, God says, this is good. This is good. Those prayers that when you are given things you know, for your leaders, for kings, and for, for those in authority. This is a good thing. Like God, God is like giving you a thumbs up when, when you're doing this. This is good, he says, and it pleases God our Savior. Watch this, verse 4. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, in a nutshell, what is the church's role in politics? What's the church's role in politics? very simple is to pray to have a place where we say this is our place of prayer for me personally I have two where I connect with God like deeply one is um, Tyler State Park sometimes I'll, I'll grab my little hammock and I'll get on my bike and I go into the woods and I'll set up my little hammock and I'll spend hours there especially if I'm working on a message or I'm wrestling with something it's a time where I just connect with God okay and then there's a, uh, in my living room, I have a little blanket that I put on the ground. Sometimes God wakes me up in the middle of the night. I get on my knees and I pray. And like whatever my deepest, you know, you know if my heart needs healing, if, if I'm hurting, like if I'm asking him of something, it's a, it's a place. It's my little place where I, where I pray. So what's the church's role in politics? It's to have a place of prayer where we say thank you for the people that you put above me because if you read in Romans, God is the one that ordains all authority. It's not, it's not us. You may think that you're the one, you know, moving the things and all that. But no, it, it's God, the one that places the people above us in, in positions of authority. And so our job is to pray for them, to give thanks to God. God is not looking for a democratic vote. God's not looking for a Republican vote. He's looking for a kingdom vote. And he knows that government it can't fix this world. Government is not the final answer. And so we, on the other hand, have the power in Jesus' name to actually make a difference in this world. 
And when you see people like Jesus, uh, when they asked him a similar question, he says, he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And Bible says this. Bible says that in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, the world changed. The world radically, dramatically changed. It's, it says that, that there were the early Christians, they were in a very uh, corrupt culture. Uh, they had to deal with very corrupt government. And, and the Bible says that the early Christians, after Jesus left, they came together and they tried to follow Jesus' ways the, the best way they could. And they, they sacrificed and they met the needs of the community. And that's how they changed their world. That's, and it says, they, they changed the world, I mean, they like changed the world upside down by loving one another, by following Jesus, by making sacrifices and meeting the needs, the deepest needs of the community. So let's not be so adamant about politics and so flexible with our virtues. I hope that, I hope that answers that question. There's a lot more that, that could be said, um, but I think that's, um, that's all I'm going to cover for right now. You know, one of the things that's interesting, I didn't say this, but uh, when, you, when Christians talk about politics, often what saddens me is that rather than having that position of prayer, that posture of prayer, what we do is we criticize and, and we, we begin to just tear each other apart. We, you know, we just tr talk trash about the, the, the people that are in, 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 uh, in, uh, in leadership positions in the government. And I think that if you look at God's word, like that's the worst, the, the worst thing that we can do. Our job is not to pray that the economy gets better so that we're happier. Do you know that? so that we can live happy lives, so that we, no, our job, if you look at the verse one more time, our job is to pray for those in authority so that we can have peace in the land so that the gospel can go forth. Look at it one more time with me, if you don't mind. It says, it says, <clears throat> I urge you, first of all, that petitions, you know, heartfelt, felt, you know, uh, requests, prayers, uh, location, intercession, like asking for God's direction and thanksgiving be made to all, for all people, including those who are kings and those who are in authority, in order that we may live peacefully and quiet lives. And now the purpose of all this is so that, so that, God says this is good pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth does that make sense so we pray God we need some leaders we need you to give them wisdom God and some of the decisions that they're making so that there is peace in the land but it's not so that I'm happy it's so that we so the gospel can go forth and be preached among all nations Second question. Let's, let's go to the second question. Let's see. Got, got a little bit of time. Um, is, here's, here it is. Is hell real? Uh, why can't a person be saved once they go to hell? I've talked um, in detail about this. Uh, there was a series we did about a year and a half ago 
Why I Believe. It's the name of the series right before Easter. One of the messages uh, was on life after death. So if you want, like, I, I don't have em- enough time to cover this whole, this whole thing, but if you want a little bit more, uh, go back and listen to that particular message, Why I Believe, Life After and Death. But what I, what I want to do for the next few minutes, we've got about nine minutes, uh, I want to give you the cliff notes, okay? And hopefully I can answer uh, this question. Phenomenal question. Uh, every time that we do a series like this, in the past we've done one that's called Q&A, um, and uh, similar to this, and like this question always comes up. This question was asked uh, in different ways, but multiple times. So here's what I can tell you about this. Uh, Hebrews 9, 27 says this. It is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the, say it, church, the judgment, okay? So I'll be honest with you. I don't know why God has set this up like this, okay? Why is it that once you, like a person in hell can't, you know, change your mind and, and like I can't tell you the why behind every, every question that you have. But what I can tell you is that there is a deadline. What I can tell you is that there is a reality of heaven and hell. And in this passage, is as clear as it gets. God says, hey, you got some time while here, you're here on earth, okay? But after you die, all of us will be judged. Okay, I, I may not be able to tell you exactly why a person can't repent after they, they're in hell, but what I can tell you is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29. Listen to what he says. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in now, when you study this, what you will learn is that the word hell appears at least 14 times in the NIV in the New Testament, 14 times. Of those 14 times, 12 times is actually Jesus using the word. And he's actually, the, the word that mo- most often, that he's most often using is the word Gehenna. Could you say that with me? Say the word Gehenna. Say it. One, two, three. Gehenna. So that's the word hell, okay? Um, look at the person next to you and, and just ask them, are you going to Gehenna? Go ahead. Just, just kidding, just kidding. Okay, I'm just joking. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. All right. Are you going to hell? No, you don't want to ask that question, okay? Um, Gehenna. It actually, every time that Jesus mentions the word, it's a very vivid picture like they didn't question him about it because it was a very real place. Gehenna was often used, that word, in reference to this, this valley, the Valley of Hinnon. Let's put a picture on it. This modern day, the Valley of Hinnon, this was a, a narrow valley, very deep valley. And throughout history, there were some horrendous things that happened in this place. Way before Jesus' time, uh, idolatrous Jews would come here and they would worship different gods, the God of Moloch, the God of Baal, it was a site of, uh, there was a lot of violent crimes, um, a lot of death, a lot of people were taken to this place. Um, they were, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but children were um, sacrificed, were burnt alive in this place. By the time that you get to Jesus' day, like not only is this place known, but this, has be, this had become the city's dump, okay? They take all the trash, all the garbage to the Valley of Hinnon. 
okay? They would take, um, like at the time, the Romans had invented the crucifixion. It was a form of, uh, of torture. It was a form of basically condemnation and, and payment and punishment. And so the Romans would take those bodies and they would take them to this place that was known as the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. And so what they would do is they would burn fires constantly because there were so many dead animals and dead human flesh. And so the idea of burning a constant fire was to sort of recycle, okay? And it was their, their way of um, keeping things somewhat sanitized. So when Jesus uses the word hell, nobody's wondering, well, I wonder what he's talking about. No, immediately it was a very vivid place, but a very real place south of Jerusalem. So everybody knew. He didn't have to sit down and explain it to them. In fact, in that day and age, people were very superstitious, and so they believed that this place was cursed. In fact, it was known as the, the place of the gnashing of teeth where the fire never dies. That's what it was known as. Now, with all of that, let me point to Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus said, everyone, watch this, who acknowledges me Publicly, Can we put this on the screen? Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth. So notice that there is a deadline, okay? There is a, a time when grace runs out. As much as we preach grace and as a church, man, we want to lead with grace, okay? But we, have to be, we can't be ignorant of the fact that there is a deadline. He says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my heavenly Father in heaven. Okay, And then he follows it up and he says, But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my heavenly Father. Now, let me give you four reasons why hell. Okay, Four reasons and we're out. About five more minutes and we're done. Number one, write this down if you, if you were taking notes. Why hell? Number one, man's dignity and freedom demands it. Man's dignity and freedom demands it. God will not force his love on you. Do you know that? You can't date someone who's not really into you. You can try. You can try to smile them with love and, and hope that they, eventually they're going to love you back, but it, it usually does not work. And so God knows this. And he says, look, I love you, and I'm, I died for you, and I, man, man, I gave everything for you, but if you reject me, and you don't want me, and you ignore me, I can't force your hand. It, it goes against my character. And so love always requires you to say yes or no. Does that make sense? And God looks at you and he says, it'll break my heart, but I won't force your hand. John Lennox says, says it like this, you can make a robot wife using AI and make her tell you that she loves you every day, but it won't mean the same thing. It makes sense, right? Imagine if we were all robots and, you know, God's just pushing the buttons that's just not the same. It's like you forcing your kids to love you. I mean, you want them to love you out of their own hearts, not because, you know, you're forcing them to do this. And so number one, why hell? Man's dignity and freedom. We are free. 
to love him if we so choose. So man's dignity and freedom demands it. Number two, God's holiness and justice demands it. Can you imagine a place where Hitler, where Osama bin Laden is in the same place as, you know, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham? Like, you would say, man, there's no justice. Is that? How, how could that happen? Picture it like this. Imagine somebody walking through those doors and going, bam, 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 bam. Now, thank goodness we have an incredible safety team, but imagine for a, for a moment. I know this is probably not the best of illustrations, but just hang in there for a moment, okay? You know, somebody comes in here, begins to shoot all your kids, our teenagers, you know, all the people you love, your friends, your pastor, and then, you know, our safety team grabs them. Months later, you're in court, and you're talking to the judge, and it's like, this man has just killed my friends and my family. He should be punished. And the judge goes, um, I, mm, I don't know. I think, it, I think he was just having a hard time. I think he was just having a, a difficult day. You'd be like, what kind of judge is this? Right? It wouldn't be fair. And so sin must be punished. God cannot take sin, make, you know, just not, just kind of, a, you know, just, just get it under the rug, you know, just throw it, just kind of hide it. He won't do that. God's holiness and justice demands it. Number three, sin's seriousness demands it. Sin is like a cancer that just hit the planet through the human race. And it's been growing ever since Adam and Eve sin is what made Jesus come to this earth and die for you a difficult death not, not an easy thing to do sin is what made the father turn his back on the son who was innocent and so sin's seriousness demands it and last evil's defeat evil's defeat demands it evil must be defeated Jesus says this John 5 24 I tell you the truth those who listen to my message and believe in God believe that he sent me they have eternal life and I love this verse because it speaks to the grace of our Heavenly Father. It says, they will never be condemned for their sins. Past, present, and future. If today you, you say, you know what? I'm going to step over the line of faith. And I, I think I kind of make somewhat sense of what Pastor Alex is talking about. And I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm jumping in. And I will, I don't know all the details, but I'm going to, I'm going to put my faith in this this God who sent his son to die for me. Do that, you make that decision. His word, not mine. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, they have eternal life. They'll never be condemned for their sins, but they will pass from death to life. So with heads by and eyes closed, I want to spend probably another three, four minutes on just self-reflection, okay? So this is your time between you and the Lord. According to Jesus, 
Facing the reality of heaven and hell is probably one of the most significant issues of life. He says, he says, if you, if you, if an eye keeps you from God, you have reason to get rid of it. That's what Jesus says. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be thrown into hell. Mark chapter 9, verse 47. So it's a big deal. It's a big topic. I know that I don't think about heaven and hell that often. But just a little bit of self-reflection, okay? I want to I talk to two groups today. The first group of people, if you're a believer, I want to talk to you for a moment. What would happen if you actually believed, actually seriously believed that heaven and hell are as real as Jesus talked about it? What would that do to your priorities? What would that do to, you know, this word? It's a word nobody likes. Your tithing. Your contributions to the kingdom. I know, man, I know many of you come to me all the time. You say, Pastor, I love LifePoint. I love LifePoint. I love LifePoint. I get it. But one of the things that hurts my heart is when I see people who say with their mouth, I love this church, but I don't contribute. I don't contribute with what God has given me, and I'm not being obedient. Oh, pastor, I just give my time. I give my time to to the Lord. I give my talents to the Lord. Man, buddy, I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you this. But listen, you're being disobedient to what God's asking you to do. God says, take what I've given you. You're the riches that I've given you. Every paycheck that you get, take a portion and give it to me for the kingdom. But the truth is, we don't think about heaven and hell that much. We're so concerned with our own selves that we just kind of ignore the issue. And we think it's just like, oh, that's just for religious people. But if you study scriptures, you know that God says, contribute to the kingdom. Not just with your time, not, with your, not just with your talent, but with what I've blessed you with. So let me ask you, how would your priorities change? How would you share in the gospel change? All the people, all the people that you deal with on a weekly basis. I want you to think of the coworker that you're going to talk to this week. I want you to think of that, that customer that you're going to see. I want you to think of the students that you're dealing with. I want you to, I want you to think of those, that, that, that boss that sometimes gets on your nerve. How are you going to share the gospel with them? How are your priorities going to be realigned so that you can share with them the hope of the world? I'm preaching to myself. And I know I don't think about heaven and hell enough. I'm consumed with my own concerns. And I don't think my brother in Christ, I don't think about my brother as much as I should. Here's a second group of people that I want to I talk to. If you're here and you're not a believer, you have questions. 
and you're wondering, I don't even know if I'm saved. You know, in fact, somebody asked a question. Somebody said, I've asked Jesus into my heart. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. And I still fall short. Am I going to heaven? How do I know for sure? Well, go back to the verse. Those who listen to my message, those who believe that God sent me, they have eternal life, they'll never be condemned. And so if that's you and you're wondering, let me make it super clear. If in your heart you believe, even if you don't ever give another dime to the church, let me tell you, thank goodness it's not based on, on, on my works, it's based on His work. He says, if today you believe in your heart that God sent Jesus to die for you and He came back from the dead, today you will be saved. Today. No more condemnation for you. Past, present, and future. And so I wonder, how many of you here today would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I want this to be the day. And I hear you. I hear what you say. There is a deadline. It is appointed for man to die once and after this judgment. And I don't want to run out of time. And so, Pastor, I'm all ears. Would you pray for me? That's you. That's your heart. Would you raise your hand all over the room? You want to give your life to Christ? This is your chance. Would you lift your hand all over? I see your hand. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I see your hand. God sees your heart. Anyone else? All over the room. Online, would you text the word Jesus? We want to come along.